1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Welcome, Gavin. Good evening. And also joining us in studio is Ross Feingold of DC International Advisory. Uh, Hello, Ross. Good evening. And rounding out the table for today, we have also got Michael Turton, who is, of course, the writer behind the popular... Taiwan viewing blog, The View from Taiwan. Hello, Michael. Hello, Keith. Good to be here. On the show today, uh, we've got just a huge roundup, a whole lot of uh, little stories to get through today, uh, so we'll be jamming through them as uh, quick as can be. First up in the show, we'll be talking about calls to abolish the Special Investigation Division. Uh, that's a relatively recent addition to the Ministry of Justice. Uh, Then we'll talk a little bit about uh, trade, as the Thai administration continues to prepare for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is, of course, the trade deal that uh, may, probably, could be, won't happen. Then in the second half, we'll talk more about some Taiwanese that have been deported to China from Kenya on telecom fraud charges. It's a familiar story. We'll see if there's anything different this time around. We will then hop on over to uh, southern Taiwan and icrt Southern Taiwan correspondent will give us the latest on some development projects uh, and some attendant controversies uh, that caught headlines down there this week. And we'll round out the show with a panel discussion on uh, something we are ridiculously unqualified to talk about, Pokemon Go, which of course uh, (laughs) broke into Taiwan just about a week ago. Uh, But first, uh, there are some other games we have to get uh, out of the way Uh, What are they called? Uh, It's uh, it's, it's some kind of game, like a big game, an important game. It's not Pokemon Go. You can play it on your phone. It's like the the Olympic Games. That's the one that we're talking about. Uh, And uh, when we're talking about the Olympic Games, we've got three main stories to talk about this week. Uh, We've got doping scandals. Uh, We've got a medal roundup. Of course, Taiwan has a couple of medals to its name at this point. Uh, and then we have the ongoing Shiasu Wei saga, which we discussed just a little bit last week. Uh, Gavin, uh, which of those do you want to take first? Well,
2: we'll begin with Su Wei, shall we? The tennis player, she announced that she was officially pulling out of the Olympic squad the day after we recorded last Friday's show. Mm. Of course, there was speculation as whether the government here or the sports administration here would manage to talk her back into competing in the women's singles event. But she said, no way, Jose, and she signed the form and that was it. She was done.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But in some good news, on Sunday... Uh, archers Lin Shijie, Lei Chen Ying, and Tan Ya Ting. They took the t- Taiwan's first medal, basically, in Rio. They took bronze in the women's team archery event after they beat Italy 5 3. Not bad. There you go. Then on the same day, Shu Xu, Xu Qing won Taiwan's first gold in Rio after Li Ya Juan of China failed to complete the clean and jerk in the women's weightlifting 53 kilogram category. There we go. go. We've
1: been seeing her picture all week.
2: Yeah, she went on, if you want to know this, shoe-lifted 100 kilos in the snatch and 112 in the clean and jerk event for an overall score of 212 kilos. Stop giggling, Michael. We are responsible reporters here. And grown adults. And, of course, there wasn't just one doping scandal. Well, there's been one official one, and there's rumours of another one after members of the Chinese Taipei Olympic Committee in Rio said they are still waiting for the results of a doping test on a member of the men's weightlifting team. Again, they've said abnormalities were found in an initial doping test on one member of the team, but they said they're having another test carried out in accordance with World Anti-Doping Agency regulations to confirm or deny any banned substances there.
1: Okay, so uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what's going on over there. Uh, it would be a sad thing if we got another team member knocked out of contention. Uh but uh, so going back a little bit to the conversation that we had last week about, you know, Taiwan's uh, various sports officials, various sports authorities uh, we heard a little bit more this week, uh, you know, the Olympic Committee receiving some criticism for their handling of uh, the Sioux case. Uh, uh, Ross, do you think that we're likely to hear more about that or, or, or is that issue kind of last uh, momentum?
3: I think after the Olympics, there'll be a mortem where people evaluate Taiwan's record or, uh, or lack thereof. And there are always going to be critics who say uh, Taiwan's team should have won, won more medals. So that, so there'll be an inevitable uh finger-pointing afterwards, and especially because of what happened with Xie Wei, and now with the doping allegations against several athletes, it certainly increases the scope of criticism uh, that the Olympic Committee is, is open to. And th- this is, unfortunately, a long-running problem with both the Olympic Committee and the various uh, sports federations that uh, govern specific sports, whether it's tennis or weightlifting or martial arts, etc., that they have been open for, to criticism over a long time over the lack of sporting success, over how they spend money, lack of transparency, etc.
1: Right. And we did also hear earlier this week uh, people discussing the fact that one of the main uh, sporting officials that kind of helps oversee these events, uh, it's a company that uh, he used to run that uh, provides a lot of the procurements, does a lot of the business supporting uh, Taiwan's Olympic team. So that... Also looks somewhat seedy. Well, here, uh,
3: here's well. here's where we are, though, is, is coming out of this Olympics, is, is it going to be a moment of great national coming together around the team or, or are we going to be? again, finger-pointing over various issues like mm-hmm. what, uh, what you just mentioned, the allegations of financial improprieties, the doping, uh, whereas other countries are going to be welcoming, welcoming back their athletes and mm-hmm. having a, you know, a happy come-together moment in celebration of Olympic success. Korea is a really good example. There was a story this week. It, you know, it's lit up the Twitter sphere where a very young Korea, South Korean gymnast grabbed a North Korean gymnast and said, will you take a selfie with me? Mm-hmm. And, and this captured... You know, the Olympic spirit in, in just the perfect way, mm. the, especially given the, you know, the bad relations between the two Koreas. And that's what the Olympics is supposed to be about. And unfortunately, we're not going to have that kind of Olympic happiness here in Taiwan.
2: We mm. might do. The sports administration has said that it wants Taiwan to come back with three gold, two silver and two bronze. And
3: how are they going well, to ensure that? Well, Gavin? they've got
2: one gold so far and they've got two bronze so far. So they technically need two gold and two Two silver. This
3: sounds like when some mayor or the president says, I want that crime solved in 10 days. And and the police chief says, yes, I will solve it in 10 days. How how can they ensure they're going to get that medal? Well, they just wanted that. I come from England. I see England's soccer team knocked out of every
2: international soccer competition every two years. I'm used to it, Ross. Mm. I go home with my head bowed down and the crowds leaving the stadiums with their heads bowed down every two years.
3: Well, fortunately, you're you're not on the Chinese Taipei Olympic team. No. What would, what would Gavin's event be? Pokemon Go! We'll
1: need to wait for that one. We'll need to wait for that one. Yeah, well, and I think I think uh, this this conversation really reflects what I'm hearing from a lot of Taiwanese people that I've been uh, speaking to this week. Just a, a general sense of ambivalence. Yeah, I want to root for uh, the home team, but yeah, there's all these problems. I don't know. It, I mean, it just all kind of mucks up the whole the whole sense of the thing. But so, isn't that
3: really unfortunate, given that uh, you know, Taiwan has this very challenging challenging international situation. And they participate in the Olympics, albeit under a name we don't really like, but they still get to participate uh, on an equal basis to all the other participants in the Olympic Games. And this is something where Taiwan should be expending the necessary resources to ensure success without any accompanying negativity, such as corruption or doping. And, Mm. And we're not there. And I think it's a huge lost opportunity for Taiwan. Uh, well, maybe next year they'll wise up and get Gavin on the team. But
2: the games aren't over yet, Ross.
1: Games aren't Ross. See, see, aren't
2: over yet, Ross. Gavin is
1: taking the we optimistic still, line. We still have the golf, of course.
2: And, of course, while the men's golf, because, of course, golf was reintroduced to the Olympics after 112 years this year. So there you go. Just an interesting fact there. While the men's golfers aren't expected to do very well, of course, the women's golf team, has Yanni Tsung, Candy Kang, and various other very well-known women golfers who play on the LPGA Tour, who do very well on the LPGA Tour. So they well could be bringing home a gold, both in the team competition and the individual event.
1: There we go. We'll let uh, Gavin have the closing word on that with uh, uncharacteristic optimism that we're hearing right there. Uh, Good way to start the the show. Okay, we're going to move on to a bit of a wonky story now, uh, but really uh, carries with it. A lot of political baggage. So it, uh, you know, tells us a lot about uh, sort of the political territory that Taiwan is treading at the moment. Earlier this week, we heard that the uh, Minister of Justice may be preparing to get rid of the Supreme Prosecutor's Office Special Investigation Division. I don't know what I'm talking about, Gavin. What am I talking about?
2: Yes, the Special Investigations Division was established in 2007, especially. It was established, basically, to investigate corruption cases, where it was thought the district prosecutor's offices could be tainted if there was a corruption scandal in Kaohsiung. Maybe the district prosecutor's office could have been tainted with corruption, etc., etc., etc. So it was established as sort of a an all-round nationwide national anti-corruption investigation office. Unfortunately... It's run rather foul of public opinion since it was founded due to the controversial handling of some cases, the controversial assignment of some cases to the division, and then allegations that it's being used by political parties, government officials, and other individuals for their own agendas.
1: Perhaps most notably, although uh, Tsai administration officials have said this wasn't uh, an important factor, but uh, perhaps the most notable controversial case to go under this uh, division's purview would be the Chen Sui-bien uh,
3: prosecution. Well, let me get this straight. So the Chen Shui-bian government established this prosecutorial team to investigate corruption at the ministerial or military general, presidential, vice presidential level. And then they found President Chen was corrupt. And now they're unhappy about it?
4: I think, uh, I think the issue was that uh, at the beginning of the Ma administration, there were accusations that the Ma administration was using it against the DPP. So, uh,
3: but the corruption investigations into Chen Shubian began while he was still president by the agency that he set up to investigate just this kind of corruption. So what are we missing here, Michael?
4: Well, I think what we're missing here is that it's, it, it, it has given every appearance of becoming a tool. And then it wasn't good enough, so Ma ying established a second agency. You probably remember the Agency Against Corruption. So now the SID has become not, not only a potential tool, but also uh, Extraneous. Uh, also redundant, yeah.
1: Mm. So, I mean, if people want to carry out some sort of uh, prosecutorial vendetta, uh, why was this court specially situated to do do that? It seems like that would be possible with or without this
3: court, or or, or was this particularly uh, susceptible to political influence? The concern of the way um, various stakeholders are approaching it now is that these investigations can be conducted ably by the existing or the pre-existing, however you want to describe it, prosecutorial system. Yes, And people sitting in a local lower-level prosecutor's office did not need to be removed from that office and put into a special team with a different name just to investigate high-level corruption. There there are good arguments on both sides. It, It is a fact that when the office was created, they did discover that President Chen and people around him were engaged in corruption, and President Chen was convicted for that. Uh, Whether or not the office still has an ongoing purpose, uh, as Michael pointed out, it could be irrelevant, especially because there there is this agency against corruption. There is also the existing prosecutorial system. So, yeah, it might have served its purpose, and hopefully there won't be any more presidential or ministerial level or military general corruption in Taiwan ever again. I'm sure there won't be.
2: Yeah, I think Ross wrote it right there. I I mean, what... Obviously, you could argue either way. The KMT is arguing that the DPP government shouldn't get rid of it because the KMT is arguing that it's getting rid of it at its will, basically, its whim. And the KMT says if the K- DPP want to get rid of agencies at their whim, it's rather inane. But one could argue that the DPP move to get rid of the SID is more as streamlining the island's prosecutorial system. So there's not all these dead, redundant bodies doing things. If an incident happens in Gaoshung revolving the Gaoshung government, for example... If they're concerned about corruption within the Gaoshung District Prosecutor's Office, they could always send people from the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office to investigate it. You don't need another body to investigate this. You already have people, prosecutors, working to investigate matters anyway.
1: There you go. All right, there we go. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm really just thinking about Pokemon right now. So uh, I think we're going to have to leave that subject, uh, although uh, I do understand it more than when we started. So good. Mission accomplished right there. We're going to move on to uh, an almost equally wonky set of issues, trade deals. The administration is still gearing up for that Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's a U.S.-backed trade bloc, of course, uh, including many Pacific countries, uh, that now no major U.S. presidential candidate supports. So very interesting that uh, Taiwan is still charging forward to uh, a deal that may just be a mirage at this point. We're, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's in serious question. Uh, there's two pieces of news uh, to get to this week. Uh, the first one that we're going to get to, Gavin, is uh, that Taiwan's trade negotiations has a new man at the helm. Uh, they have put in place former economic Minister John Dung to lead the charge.
2: Yeah, the government this week made John Dung responsible for overseeing economic and trade negotiations with foreign governments. Of course, John Dung is well respected by just about everybody, regardless of their political leaning, basically, and he has a great expertise in economic experience and in trade negotiations. Of course, he's, worked, he's held several government posts under both Ma ying and Chen Shui-bian. There you go. So they've got a new guy in charge. And the government have said that they moved to put Deng in charge of negotiations with foreign countries. Again, like you said, because they're seeking to join the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Although I think that's just one aspect of why they put him in charge. I think the reason they put him in charge is because, I hate to say anything, this simple. He simply knows what he's doing.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good reason to put somebody in charge. <laughs> Uh, 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 You you tend to have an opinion, Ross, about uh, the officials that are doing business in the Thai administration. Uh, What do you make of John Dunn? Well, he he has
3: long experience, as as Gavin pointed out. He's considered nonpartisan. Uh, He's worked on WTO and other trade-related issues. He also served as a diplomat in the United States. So he's certainly someone with a long resume where politics, foreign policy, and trade policy meet. And one of the important things about this portfolio is, going forward, the need to have a lot of coordination, um, whether it's between different ministries that regulate different industries, uh, convincing legislators to pass legal changes, which we'll talk about with regard to copyright, um, because uh, it's a very complex coordination job, and there are not a lot of people who actually have this kind of experience. So. Uh, as as an administrator, he, he's certainly capable of undertaking this task. Mm.
1: All right, so uh, we're going to move on to the topic that you just hinted at one second ago. Uh, copyright issues uh, is another aspect of these trade deals that came up in the news. Uh, of course, kind of the way that the Trans-Pacific Partnership is structured, it's not... It's not what a lot of people would think of when they think of a normal trade deal. It's not all about uh, tariffs and, you know, lowering those sort of tax barriers to trade. Uh, Instead, it has a lot more to do with uh, regulatory issues. Uh, among those, very high priority for the U.S. and a number of industries within the U.S. Uh, would be uh, copyright law. Uh, and so you know, one way that Taiwan is trying to prepare for this is strengthening its copyright law. And uh, we heard some proposals to that effect this week, Gavin.
2: Yeah, the cabinet Thursday of this week apparently passed, actually, a bill that it aims to put to lawmakers. As part of government moves to crack down on online piracy. Now, the copyright bill change was aimed at solely at online piracy. Now, government officials have said that the decision to tighten copyright laws is aimed at helping Taiwan comply with international norms as it seeks to join the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So
1: they're that, making that
2: explicit. That was just a, a direct quote. Now, mm-hmm. like I said, Thursday, the Cabinet approved a draft amendment to the Copyright Act, and it expands the list of offences that subject to prosecution. Even without complaints from victims.
1: So the prosecutors can just say, you're doing this bad thing, I'm going to go after you, even if like Sony Pictures.
2: Didn't bother complaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the new offences listed is, a, is reproducing a copyrighted work in digital format without authorization to sell it or rent it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, a no-brainer.
2: And offenses will also include public transmission of copyrighted content without authorization,
1: mm-hmm. basically. So if you if you have all those uh, DVDs in the back of your truck, is that what they're talking about?
2: Yeah, without, no, that's not what they're talking about. Before, this is quite interesting, because before Taiwan's copyright law solely covered, like, DVDs and CDs. physical objects. Ah, Physical objects, yeah. Mm -hmm. This law basically moves to change that. So if you don't, if you sell something online and it's not a physical object, you still face punishment. I see.
1: Oh, we're only 10
3: years behind the technology curve. That's not too bad. All right, so... but I I think you hit the key thing here, which is uh, kind of a no-brainer to make these legal changes. So... It's not very controversial. It's something that Taiwan could say, hey, look, we're trying to meet the TPP standards, and, and it's not going to uh, cause people to be protesting, right? There, there, There's very few people who are going to be saying we, we, we need to maintain our right to illegally download or, or to download without the copyright owner's uh, permission. Uh, you know, it's not as controversial as pork imports from the United States, for example, but it's, it's certainly uh, required to make Taiwan – a potential DPP member and and it puts Taiwan on the path to making other subsequent legal changes that are necessary. Mm. All right. So uh, that kind of covers the two individual
1: bits of news on that front that we uh, were hearing about this week. Let's kind of look at the more broader question though.
2: Our broader question is, have you downloaded anything recently, Michael?
1: The shady figure that we're uh, inviting to our studio.
4: Recently, as in the, the last five minutes, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there we go. Well, we, 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 we. I'm
2: Taiwanese, I download, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, w-
4: of
2: course, you all remember the days when you could just go down to Guanghua market and buy pirated software. Mm. And that, that disappeared quite quickly, of course, when the government said
4: No, 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 no. Why buy pirated software when you, when you can just download it yourself?
3: Just as simple. Okay, back back in that era, we had we only had dial-up connections, so you might have to actually buy the disc. But uh, Taiwan did go through. You know, kidding aside, Taiwan did go through a round of these kinds of legal changes as part of its entry into the WTO um, fifteen or so years ago. So mm. it's not the first time to be changing the copyright law to, as you pointed out, to uh, come up catch up with the times and mm. catch up with the the. Technology curve. Mm. Well, be careful, Michael. I, I I do hear that there
1: are going to be some prosecutors with some extra time on their hands. So, uh, just something to watch out for. Let's 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 move to the broader question, though. You know, okay. So Ross says relatively modest moves here. All of this makes sense. Uh, but in general, should Taiwan really be counting on uh, the TPP uh, for anything? Given that both presidential candidates say that they don't support it categorically, uh, Hillary Clinton came out and said. Uh, You know, I'm when I'm in office, I am not going to support the TPP.
3: Uh, The expectation is that Clinton will seek changes to the TPP should she be elected, but ultimately will seek the TPP's uh, approval and implementation in some format changed from what it looks like today, Uh, whereas Trump will, will under almost no circumstance support. Right. So Trump's not saying we need to fix it to make it better. Clinton is saying we need to fix it to make it better. And then she'll support it, which is her how she's approached other trade agreements, such as the South Korea trade agreement as well. And, um, you know, it's imperative that Taiwan join if the TPP does come into reality. So, uh, I would certainly hope that Taiwan continues these steps regardless of U.S. presidential politics.
1: Mm. Uh, Michael, what's your take?
4: Pretty much it's the same as Ross. I think uh, Clinton will, will definitely move to pass the TPP in some form. It, it looks like one of her usual. I was before. I was against it before. I was for it kind of things. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and I think uh, I also agree.
1: Taiwan does need to join the TPP. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, y- even though it's been uh, you know thrown into this much doubt, you think this is still going to be an important uh, trade step for Taiwan? I, I don't
4: think the TPP is a very good idea, but I think it is good for Taiwan to join the TPP because it will further bring Taiwan under
3: the U.S. security umbrella. But let, let's also keep in mind that a lot of these legal and regulatory changes to facilitate TPP entry would. If, even if TPP fails, it would also facilitate Taiwan entering into bilateral free trade agreements with other countries, which might be more likely in the event that TPP fails. Or alternatively, there's also the uh, Asia-based trade agreement, the RCEP. So again, uh, these legal and regulatory changes would also facilitate Taiwan's entry into RCEP even if TPP fails. Mm. Um, but Michael, if you're against the TPP, I would assume you're also against Taiwan's entry into RCEP. Uh, <laughs> RCEP, uh what what is it sound R- for regional again? comprehensive economic partnership which is asean plus china japan korea yeah
4: mm. oh well
3: yes you presume correctly <laughs> so 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 for you i mean the,
1: these, these trade deals are not necessarily well the, the merits of international trade is uh, perhaps more than we can get into uh, as we're wrapping up but i guess uh, for you the the main consideration here is uh, security considerations rather than economic considerations correct I could 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 you expand that thinking a little bit? Well,
4: the TPP is basically about increasing corporate ascendancy over the economy. And I see that as an inevitable. We're a globalized nation and uh and we're we live in this corporate globalized world and I, and I think that uh, the main advantage to us is going to be bringing us closer to the U.S., I mm-hmm. S I don't think it's going to be good for our little people in Taiwan.
1: All right. And that uh, we will let Michael have the last word on that one and move on to the break uh, because we do need to take a break right now. When we return, we'll be talking about, Oh, Kenya deportations, uh, that again. Okay. We'll be talking about that. Uh, then we'll take on the case of the drunk driving diplomat. Uh, and to round out the show, we'll take a good long look at Pokemon go, which is uh, now invading the shores of Taiwan. All that and more when we return to Taiwan This Week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Roz Feingold, and Michael Turton. Jumping right back into the show, uh, these first two stories that we're going to cover, we're just going to speed through them as fast as we can because, uh, well, there's not too 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 much though. There's not too too much to them, uh, but still worth covering uh, at least to some degree. Uh, first up, the Mainland Affairs Council said late on Tuesday uh, that five Taiwanese who were allegedly involved in telecom fraud in Kenya. Uh, have been deport- and have now been deported to China. Uh, well, they have now been confirmed to uh, be in uh, detention centers in Beijing. So, uh, I mean, that's the basic outlines of the story, Gavin. Pretty much, uh, we've we've heard this before, but uh, in this case, uh, they have uh, they were acquitted in Kenya. I guess that would be the main difference this time around.
2: Yeah, uh, they were acquitted in Kenya of telecoms fraud, but the Kenyan court basically acquitted them, not on the grounds that they were 100% innocent, and they proved their innocence. Apparently, the Kenyan court acquitted them. Because prosecutors failed to provide, there was missing evidence. There was issues with
1: the prosecutor's case. So clearly Beijing feels they have a stronger case.
2: Yeah, as it does all the time with Mm -hmm. these cases. Basically, Beijing said these people were in Kenya, involved in telecom fraud, targeting Chinese nationals.
1: And also, you know, familiar thread, uh, Beijing has done this over the vocal protests of uh, the Thai administration.
2: Well, it's done it over the vocal protest of just about everybody.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, but the issue here is, OK, Kenya has foreign nationals that they uh, have acquitted of a crime in their judicial system. and Now they want to throw them out. So where do they throw them to? That, that really is the question. And should they have thrown them to China or thrown them to Taiwan or just taken them to the border with a neighboring country and, and pushed them across? You know, that 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 is the issue well, once they're done with the judicial mechanism in Kenya.
2: It's actually usually the cheapest way to get you out of the country is what they do.
3: So they should have brought him to the so border. They, they
2: should have taken. They could have taken him to a land border cut. and gone right there. You go. You can go there. But if they had, if if the people they were deporting had visas or were allowed into the country neighboring the neighboring country mm-hmm. without visas, they could have done that. Mm-hmm. The fact that I think Beijing laid on a charter flight was just a cheap way for Kenya to get rid of them.
3: Mm. Uh, Michael, what's your? Take? But but, it's, but sorry, sorry to interrupt. But is is that? Um, you know, putting aside the, you know, how we might feel about China, is, is there anything wrong with that? You know, China is saying we have criminal charges filed against these people. We're going to send a plane to pick them up. Well, first of all, once the, under Kenyan immigration law,
4: once you've been found of uh, having entered the country and, and illegally, then you're deported back to your port of embarkation, which in this case was Guangzhou, where these guys had come from. So that's the default option under the law. So the Kenyans weren't in violation of their own law or of international law mm-hmm. when they sent these people back to China. These people were stupid. They shouldn't have come to China from Guangzhou. They should have come from Tahiti or Dubai or someplace. <laughs> someplace nice to go back to. Fiji. They <laughs> yeah.
2: to Kenya
4: yeah, from, from Fiji. Fiji. Exactly. But well, they flew from Guangzhou. They were busted in a fire in December of 2014. China was there right away saying, we want these people. In January, they filed a formal request. So now we've had a year of trials for these people. And they've been acquitted on every charge. Most of them have been acquitted. Some of them are found guilty of documents charges. They were acquitted and they were not tried on fraud. And so this looks to me, as I've been saying my blog, as if, as if Beijing and, and Nairobi had come to an understanding about what would happen to these people once they'd gone through the Kenyan system. Because there were complaints in Kenya domestically that they had, they had to have a trial there because they were criminals in Kenya.
1: Mm. So you, it sounds like your take would be the fact that they were acquitted in Kenya does not change the basic facts
3: of the case.
4: Bingo, because they were busted, basically red-handed, with all the computer equipment and telecom
3: equipment there. Okay, mm-hmm. but that doesn't go to what what to do with them the moment they've been acquitted by the judicial system. Yes, it does. Who, they're who, found.
4: Who? Un, they're found. They're in violation of their visas. Therefore, they get deported back to the port of embarkation.
3: That's
1: crystal clear, Kenyan law.
3: Okay, if, if that's the case, then why are t- people in Taiwan upset?
1: because... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't
3: think Michael can make a strong case for that. I mean, he's kind of arguing against that.
4: They shouldn't be upset. I mean...
3: But 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 in this, these last five, were they convicted of, of visa or documentation violations?
4: They 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 didn't have to be convicted of that, because that's a determination not, that's not made by the court. It's a determination made by immigration.
2: Immigration. The fact that they were in Kenya, and they were obviously getting income from being in Kenya, they were in violation of their visas to be there, which were Basically tourist visas. They didn't have work visas to be in
3: Kenya. Fine then. Why is Taiwan upset? It,
4: it makes for good political copy. But the truth is that the last uh, the last round of deportations. Uh, the, the MAC and the Ministry of Justice both said, well, actually, they should be sent to China. That's the
3: Right, and, which, which I agree with. I I don't think anybody in here is arguing people against People were really upset with that. So, you know, oh, yeah, dignity of Taiwan, etc., etc. Nice et
2: and the moral of the story is, of course. Don't
3: you, go to a foreign country and if commit a crime.
2: you wish to go to Africa and commit <laughs> telecom fraud, first of all, fly to a very nice part of the world. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. We, we already gave you some ideas for that. So uh, <laughs> can't blame us. All right, uh, we're going to move away from that story and move to our next uh, quick hot take uh, on the, uh, another big story for the week. Oh, and we're going to be giving uh, more criminal advice right here. Uh, if you are going to be drinking, you do need to get a uh, designated driver. Otherwise, you could become the next drunk driving diplomat and lose your job, Gavin.
2: Oh, this was Antonia Zhang, yes. Last week, he was given the job of becoming Taiwan's ambassador to Singapore. Great that's job. A, that's a great,
1: that's a great gig. I yeah? would celebrate if I you know got Singapore,
2: that gig. Singapore, the government will pay for you to have a very nice house in a very nice part of Singapore, probably of your choice maybe with a nice view of some sea and some green and some trees. Unfortunately, Antonio Jung, it seems, went out and celebrated a bit too hard being given this position because he was picked up by the busies on a DUI check after he celebrated this position with some friends and his alcohol content was almost double the legal limit.
1: That's a a, a ways over the limit.
2: It was a way over the limit. He was fined 60,000 NT. There was talk of indictments, but I never really understood how you would indict someone simply because they had a DUI. And two days later, he said, I don't want the job in Singapore. I'd better stand down because I haven't done a very good job of being the ambassador to Singapore before I've even been to <laughs>
3: Singapore. Well, well it was, this incident dragged on for about a week. Right? It was more than two days. Um, he resigned after the... Criminal, system, the criminal justice I mean. system after, after they yeah. threw
2: the 60,000 right.
1: then... so, so I want to put one question to you guys, I'll let you both take it in turn and then, and then we're going to move on because I don't know, my feeling is this story is a little bit overblown but maybe you can correct me here, basically uh, this just seems like a, a, a media firestorm, people are, got really fixated on this story uh, but I don't know, overall my sense is uh, it's kind of a good thing if a diplomat can handle his liquor, you know, like that's that, that's part of the job smoozing drinking going out and anyway once he's in Singapore he's probably gonna have a driver so like driving drunk is not going to be a problem for him uh, he's he's covered uh, so uh, is there any was there any reason to
3: fire this dude well there there, there are many reasons first of all this goes to um, the dignity of of Taiwan which we're always talking about on this program so uh, the rep- diplomatic representatives of Taiwan need to conduct themselves with the utmost dignity especially given Taiwan's difficult diplomatic circumstances in Singapore Singapore is one of Taiwan's very important diplomatic relationships for trade and defense. And Um, maybe they would have enjoyed having a fun ambassador hanging out with him. Clearly, Singapore did not uh, react that way, saying, well, we're so happy to have this guy who knows how to go out and have a good time to be coming to Singapore and representing Taiwan. Uh, In fact, uh, Singapore had had quite the opposite reaction. So they are probably very happy that Mr. Jiang has resigned. Uh, Mr. Jiang could have been more contrary. This was not an example of good crisis management either by himself, despite his own background in the media or by the the government, right? They should have come out there and immediately and say, Oh, we're really sorry about this. You know, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up my driver's license. I, I'm going to do alcohol education. I'm going to go talk to kids and teach them and lecture them about the dangers of driving drunk. We didn't hear anything like that. And the other thing which a lot of people seem to have completely missed is uh, several years ago, there was a Romanian diplomat in Singapore who got behind the, car, the wheel while he was drunk, and he ran over three people, killing one of them, and, and then it ran away from Singapore and was tried in Romania, not in Singapore. So if there's any country that's extremely sensitive to drunk driving diplomats, it's Singapore. And the idea that you would still send a representative there uh, you know, in, in this fact pattern, it, it, it's a really tough sell. That is a good point. That is a very specific
1: sensitivity that uh, we stepped on here. Uh, Michael, uh, well, we, we, we need to round out this section, so I'll we'll let you have the final thoughts.
4: Well, my initial response was the same as yours, Keith. Well, it's So uh, Drunk driving? It happens every weekend in Taiwan. But uh, actually, I was talking to uh, a media worker from an international publication, and he, he was like, wow, this is really a big deal. It's, another, it's just another thing like the old Tonswabian days, blah, 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 blah. So It kind of plays into an already
1: existing the, narrative.
4: Exactly. So it was kind of good that he uh, eventually resigned, although, Mm -hmm. as Ross pointed out, the management of the incident wasn't very good.
1: Mm. All right. Well, look at that. I learned a thing or two on the show today, Uh, but it's time to move on from this story. Uh, We're moving on now to a topic uh, that brings us to southern Taiwan. And uh, lucky enough for us, we have on the line ICRT's southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith. Hello, Michael. Hey there. Uh, and you're going to be telling us uh, about a little bit of a protest that uh, went on in Tainan earlier this week, uh, protesting what I think many would have found to be a pretty exciting development project. Uh, others are, of course, not excited about it because it means uh, their, their homes are getting demolished.
0: Yeah, just a couple of days ago, there was a final meeting, or uh, we'll see if it's final, but there was a meeting where a proposal that has been batted around here for uh, close to a decade now to put about eight kilometers of railway tracks underneath um, the ground in tainan and so they gave it the green light essentially after a lot of back and forth over environmental issues uh... moving homes or property issues and all of that so um... It's finally being approved. However, I really can't tell you if it's going to happen, because this is something that has been approved and then taken off and back again. It goes all the way back to 2007. And what Tainan is trying to do, I think we have to understand the geography and the the history a little bit as well. The city of Tainan has grown uh, very, very much over the past uh, couple of decades. So back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, Yongkang, what is now Yongkang District, Used to be Yongkang City, and it was considered kind of a little bit outside of, you know, the downtown area. But these days, um, you know, there's no uh, distance between downtown and Yongkang. It's all just one big metropolitan area. So you have train tracks that are uh, lines that are running like directly through these very, very populated areas. And for a lot of people, they are dangerous. I mean, if you watch the local news, you'll not be able to go a week without seeing some sort of rail accident related to a truck or a person or something somewhere across Taiwan. So there's a the danger element. There's the just ugliness of it. There's the inconvenience of having the ding, 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 you know, and you have to wait for the, the, the train and everything. So this is something that's happened across Taiwan. In Taipei, in 1983 was when they first started making the decision to move their main uh, lines in the city underground, and that was finished by, like, the, the late 90s. So, um, Tainan also wants to move in this direction, and it's something that the uh, long-term mayor here, uh, William Lai, has been pushing for quite a while, and in his view, it's just the right thing to do. It makes sense, and it would basically be right in that area between Yongkang and then the main Tainan station, which they also want to put underground. So, the mayor says he's being very fair. He says, not only will we offer you the chance to buy a new apartment in a different part of the city at half the going rate of what it should cost, but will also trade you bits of land near the main station uh, like uh, as as a sweetener for the deal. So he seems to feel that he's giving the people involved more than enough uh, motivation to uh, be okay with this plan. But it's about it's, it's about 400 families. Uh, I can't get the exact number here, but it seems to be roughly about 400 families. I don't know how many people that involves, but about 400 families would need to move. And uh, of these people, there's a vocal minority actually—not not all of them—but there's a very vocal minority who are not happy about the idea. So this goes back to the you know the the thing that we've seen all over the world of like uh, progress versus. Uh, uh, preserving the old, the rights of people who were there first via uh, uh, versus, rather, uh, change and all of this. So uh, it, it's very hard to uh, put your finger on, on who's right or wrong here and whether or not it's fair to ask 400 families to sacrifice for the good of a city.
2: They're actually going to turn the Tainan railway station into a museum.
0: Yeah. Um, the, on the good side of what Tainan has done, and this is something that both Tainan and Kaohsiung have done, they've realized that building subways is something that is expensive and uh, very, very uh, uh, money-losing. Kaohsiung is hemorrhaging money from its uh, MRT system. And Tainan, if you go and look at the map that uh, the original central government plans for building the Tainan MRT, there were four lines that crisscrossed the city. They were going to be underground. It was going to take uh, all these years, and it was supposed to be finished in 2009. Now, of course, not one bit of work has been done on that uh, MRT, and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. So what Kaohsiung and Tainan have both sort of figured out is that the existing rail lines, the TRA, the Taiwan uh, Railway Administration Lines, can be better utilized as commuter transit routes <clears throat> for residents. But that means that they need to build better stations, more accessible stations, more stations, and think harder about the routes that the trains are taking. Mm. So, Tainan has made some progress in this uh, regard, some positive progress, and actually, if they do finish laying these uh, rails underground, this 9 kilometers, 8 kilometers or so, it really would help that area of Yongkang and Tainan to just sort of merge better. Now, of course, it's now one city, right? But still, there's still a bit of a of a distance, um, I guess you could even say an economic uh, distance. If you go uh, past like Shaodonglu in in Tainan and you cross over into Yongkang, you can see that it's not as economically developed as uh, parts of the uh, other parts of the city. So by doing this project, moving it underground, getting rid of the uh, crossings and all of that, you are sort of merging cities and helping areas kind of lift up their development. So. I can see why they want to do this. Uh, personally, I would say it's a good uh, idea. But uh, for the people who have to move, uh, I don't know what to say for them. It's a uh, it's a tough a tough one.
4: Uh, Michael, I heard that uh, some of the families there had been told the land that they were that the land that they were losing was going to be used as a park, and then later, when they saw the plans, it was uh, turned into a commercial district.
0: Yeah, that's that's another issue that's uh, been uh, happening both in Tainan and in Kaohsiung as well. Uh, Not too long ago, this plan for a freeway in Kaohsiung was laid out, and they had a plan, and everyone looked at it, and it was, oh, okay. And then when the new plan came in, the official plan, they had moved the line over, and allegedly because it would have caused vibrations for some sort of factory. So, yeah, there's a lot of accusations that what uh, the government is offering on paper and what they're saying is not what comes out at the end. So, yeah, that is another big issue as well.
1: Mm. All right. So uh, something to follow uh, in the future, for sure. Let's bip on up uh, before we let you go on over to uh, your neck of the woods, uh, Kaohsiung. uh, And there is some interesting transportation news afoot there as well.
0: Basically, um, we are in the final stages of that project to move the rail lines underground. They've already completed uh, the bridge that goes over the Love River. So there's going to be a new commuter station right there that will connect to the station. They're going to move the Kaohsiung Station again. Gavin probably uh, uh, (laughs) knows more about this. But uh, we've moved it, I I believe, twice already. And uh, this time it's going to be moved one more time underground. And 2016 was the year when the final uh, tunnels are set to be finished. And uh, I live not too far from them, so I can see the, the construction on a daily basis. It's moving forward, but it won't all be done until 2018. But when that is done, like I mentioned earlier, they're going to start using the TRA lines as commuter lines to connect with spurs to the MRT or to the high-speed rail or other places. So it's going to mean that uh, people in, like, the Lotus Lake area of Kaohsiung, for example, would be able to hop on a TRA train, go down to the main station, and transfer to the MRT and go to the airport, rather than having to do a series of bus or taxis and all the rest of it. So Kaohsiung is uh, moving forward with their transportation thing, and so far, so good.
2: Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens, whether it's so far, so good, when they move the station for a third time. If I remember, two times ago, they moved the station and then forgot to give it handicapped ramps. So if you basically were handicapped, you couldn't actually enter Kaohsiung Station.
0: Details,
1: yeah. details. Yeah, there,
0: was, there, there were certainly issues. And I think uh, the, the main issue was that the mentality at the time was that they thought that the station was going to be re- moved underground faster than it was, ended up happening. But yes, you're right, Gavin. Uh, uh, just take the Taipei uh, MRT airport line as an example of, uh, you know, the difference between what is uh, said and what it finally
1: happens. Too close to home, man. Too close to home. <laughs> that one still hurts. That's right out our window. Still can't yep, use it. Yep. See trains on it every day. All right, well, we are going to uh, round out that conversation right there, which means that we're moving to our final discussion for today. Uh, and we're just... Uh, uh, what's that? That must mean, that music must mean, that it's time to catch them all. Catch them all because uh, Pokemon Go has finally, Pokemon came to Taiwan, Gavin, uh, and there's just been a ton of news. People have been arrested, well, maybe not arrested, but they've been fined and they've been in front of cars and they've been causing all kinds of havoc this week uh, as uh, this addicting game has addicted many members of our populace.
2: Apparently, earlier this week, they said... This is the police, the National Police Agency, Nationwide Police System. They said they'd issued a total of 1,210 traffic citations. This was in the first three days of the Pokemon game being released. Now, to break those 1,210 traffic citations down to fools that have been playing Pokemon Go while on the move... 76 drivers of cars were issued tickets for playing Pokemon Go. Hmm. 1,100 people riding motorcycles or scooters were issued tickets for playing Pokemon Go. That's so much worse. And and I love this one. According to the National Police Agency, 24 drivers of what the police are calling slow-moving vehicles were also nabbed playing Pokemon Go while in traffic.
1: Like, does that mean pedestrians? I don't know what that means. Actually,
2: bicycles are included in that. You're <sighs> not allowed to ride a
0: bicycle and play uh, the game at the same time. Mm. Uh, the fine, however, for that is 300 NT, so not an incredible deterrent.
2: Mm. Yeah, but it's that's not the only deterrent. The National Palace Museum, both branches, have actually banned the game on its premises. On the grounds that it's bad for visitors and also... Poses a danger for its collections. Well, mm. Taiwan
3: does have a history of people destroying art. That's true. Art. The famous. Chat- <laughs> I know you love the Soda Boy. The Soda Kevin.
2: Boy with the painting, of
1: course. Yeah. The Soda Boy would be a prime suspect Just think for Pokemon Go. How worse it
2: would have been if he'd gone through the painting playing Pokemon Go?
1: Yeah, exactly. Imagine hundreds of those Soda Boys wandering around drunkenly, <laughs> high on Pokemon Go, wandering around right. through an art collection. Now, it's mayhem.
2: Transport is well. It's such it's such mayhem. Apparently, the transportation networks have actually banned Pokemon. Go on their premises. How are, they, how are they going to enforce a, uh, that? A, a well, apparently... ...release
0: that said you're not
2: allowed to play on railway tracks. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's the Taiwan Railways administration said, please do not play Pokemon Go on railway tracks.
3: But Charizard but, loves uh, being uh, on the railway How am I going to, to get him? people
2: not to
0: play phone games on railway tracks. The end of Civilization is not. Nice.
3: Uh, how, how, how are they going to enforce that if they keep moving the railway tracks underground? <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best Pokemon are
1: underground, too. I mean, they really haven't thought this through.
2: But what's interesting is the Taiwan Railways administration and the high speed rail have also theoretically, on paper, and verbally banned the playing of Pokemon games after you go through the ticket gates. In Taipei, the Mass Rapid Transit System has basically said people caught playing Pokemon Go on its premises who pose a risk to the safety of themselves or others can be fined 7,500
1: NT. It's a decent and- fine.
2: Yeah, of course. And, of course, another interesting thing is the Ministry of Education is saying that it's assessing whether to ban Pokemon Go from school campuses ahead of the start of the next school year, which, of course, is in September. Now, this is all very good and done, but unfortunately, the actual Ministry of Education has no legal boundaries to ban students from bringing phones to their schools, mm. because that's up to the invi- individual schools themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if enough parents clamor for it, I'm sure it's going to happen, whether at the, at the national level or at the individual school level. Uh, definitely there's uh, enough here for parents to get freaked out about. Uh, but uh, this this game just seems like tailor-made to uh, hack the brains of Taiwan. I mean, uh, we, we're already a society that spends far too much time on our phones. This is giving people a full social license to uh, do it on the go now. So now it's not just uh, students not listening to Michael when he's uh, lecturing in class. Now it's uh, students not listening to the oncoming bus that's uh, barreling towards them as they're walking through town.
0: Yeah, but on the positive side, okay, I was walking to the supermarket yesterday last night to get milk and I saw a grandfather, obviously uh, an elderly gentleman, with a kid that was probably only five years old, and I assume is some sort of uh, grandson of his. And they were playing the game together, and Grandpa had his cane, and he was hobbling along as they uh, looked, and then he helped his grandson shoot and catch the thing. And There was people walking all over the streets near the park and everything. So on the positive side, people are walking and (laughs) not sitting in front of
2: a screen. So, you know, that's good.
1: That, that That is the way that a lot of people are trying to spin
3: this, yeah. yeah I
2: want to know, is Ross doing it on the go, though?
3: <laughs> uh, I confess to having zero interest in video games and online device games. Uh, it's uh, something that I personally don't think is a productive use of time. But that, <laughs> that being said, uh, people derive enjoyment fr- from it. And uh, l- let's also look at another potential positive that it might be good for Taiwan's IT hardware industry as people, consumers need to buy whatever upgraded phones or uh tablets or uh, other other equipment to play the game the stock market is up for
0: the company that uh, released it They're, the figures uh, were pretty pretty high i didn't uh Make a note, but they've made quite a bit of money.
1: Yep, the stock market is up this week. Uh, the uh, comic book convention, which is also kicking off this week, is crediting Pokemon for a, a, a boost in attendance.
2: So are the shopping centres. Apparently, the Miramar Entertainment Park in Taipei said it saw 100,000 visitors last weekend, compared with 40,000 on usual weekends. And both the Taipei 101 and the Breeze Centre have said they they have seen larger than usual crowds. There you mm.
1: go. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. We haven't heard too much from Michael. Have you had any uh, pokey spottings over the, the last week or so?
4: I went into my doctor's office yesterday. Did he poke I, you? I, <laughs> I went into my doctor's office yesterday, and he was standing by the window checking his phone. And I said, did you catch one? And the nurse just shook her head dolefully and said, no, he's never caught one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's the saddest story ever. Um, Well, hopefully he was more interested in, you know, like your test results than the Pokemon world <laughs> but we can only hope uh hey, ross have you have you observed any uh pokemon activity around
3: you uh, over the last week or so well again in all seriousness uh, i've observed seriousness
4: people, ross the, this is not serious this is pokemon well
3: okay. you no, know, there there is certainly danger uh people not paying attention and they're walking on the street but but what i was going to say is mm-hmm. um my building where i live here in taipei with people coming up to the front it's sort of driving our, our uh, security guard a bit crazy. Mm. Um, you know, he's kind of annoyed about people coming up and wandering around in, in the small plaza in front of our, our front door that abuts the street. Uh, so, you know, there are obvious safety, privacy, convenience, or the inconvenience that this causes to, to mm-hmm. other people who, um, possibly like me, have zero interest in it.
1: Very true. Well, that, that that'll be true as uh, probably these so-called augmented reality games have become more prevalent uh, in general. Gavin, your taxi driver was complaining about he this was, as well.
2: He, yeah, my taxi driver. I was, I was before I get to my taxi driver. I was going to say that, that Michael's store Michael in Gao story of the elderly man and his grandson doing it. I found that quite touching actually. Yeah, mm.
0: I did too. Um, oh, no, that's quite nice. And then a group of you know teenagers who were uh, doing their thing as well. And Downtown Gaosheng, uh, we have Central Park, right? And usually in the evening, Central Park is empty, and it's kind of sad because it's a it's a beautiful area. There's uh, plenty of places to walk around. But over the past uh, time since the the game has been released, you go down there, and it's just packed with people, and they're socializing, they're interacting, they're meeting new people. You know, they're walking their dogs while playing the game and bumping into other people. I mean, we we possibly could see romances and children and all sorts of things because of this game so so, so what are you I'm saying she, she, Xi
3: Jinping and Tsai Ing-wen should get together over a game of Pokemon there go. You go. they should battle their Pokemons and whoever wins
1: gets I, to control China I guess that's how yeah <laughs> that's uh, that's how the game works you know, apparently
0: has never worked on anything right so mm. we need to find ways of working with this game and letting people work with it safely somehow but any attempts to like ban it at schools or whatever else is just going to backfire. We know that history's proven it.
2: No, I think people will just get bored with it eventually. Something so the next new, so. the next new thing will come along and Pokemon will be Pokemon. Bye bye. Yeah, it's it's
3: long before Keith's time, but uh, we've seen these fads in Taiwan before. Remember the Tomagachi in the nineties?
2: Oh comes. sure, mm. the little egg
0: that you raised. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
3: All right.
1: Glad
2: I knew nothing about that.
0: (laughs) I was here then, and I knew nothing about that. He heard that word uh, and it was vaguely Japanese, and other associations came to his mind. I (laughs) I
1: knew nothing about. All right, we are going. Okay, we're we're, we're, coming from Ross. We're going in a dangerous direction right now. Didn't want to know about Pokemon Go. This is is going in a dangerous direction right now. So okay, so a lot more trends uh, to look forward to that us media types can wring our hands and furrow our brows over in the future. Uh, But we're going to leave this conversation. Amid a a whole bunch of people that have never played the game. Uh, So, of course, are extremely qualified to uh, (laughs) discuss it. Uh, But we are going to round it out there. Uh, That is it for the show today. Please do join us again next time. Time when This Week broadcast every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT FM 100. Generally starting around 8.15, 8.16, depending on the commercial load. You can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, uh, and the ICRT blog. Uh, I am going to be away next week uh, for a vacation to uh, the hometown of all Pokemon, Japan. Uh, But uh, probably won't be doing a lot of Pokemon-ing while I'm there. Uh, But I leave you in the able hands of Gavin Phipps, who will take the helm next week. Uh, So signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Manconi, joined, as always, by Gavin Phipps. Thank you, Gavin. Hey, good night. Uh, Michael Turton as well. Thank you, Michael. Good evening. Also with us in studio, Ross Feingold. Ross, thanks for you being here. Good night. And by phone, uh, joining us all the way from Kaohsiung, we had, of course, there, Michael Smith. Michael, thank you.
0: No problem. Always happy to be here.
1: And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. This is all being recorded guys. I can I can put this in the show. There's nothing stopping me. <laughs> There's no editorial process here, it's just me.
0: I'm filtered.
1: <laughs> this'll yeah, this'll be the premium content right here.